We're going to be studying uh, from the book of Acts and on the subject of revival and the move of God. And uh, I'm looking forward to our study over the next uh, three days. And uh, I just know that God has some good things in store uh, for us. Uh, do you have your Bibles today? Amen. Praise the Lord. It's always good to come to church with your Bible. Hallelujah. But it's, as we begin today, uh, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to uh, bless our study. Heavenly Father, we just come before you today in the name of Jesus, and we thank you, Lord, for uh, your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, for uh, the gifts and the calling of God upon our life. And Father, today we just ask that you would anoint me to speak and anoint us to receive and bless the study of your word. And, and God, we say in Jesus' name, amen and amen. The book of Acts is our manual for revival. It's our manual for a move of God. Over the years, uh, years past that is, there have been books written on revival. Uh, Not so much now, but in the past, uh, men like Charles Finney. You ever heard of Charles Finney? Uh, Leonard Ravenhill, Billy Sunday, and other men like this. They wrote books on revival, and all those things are, all those books are good, and they have their place, but uh, there is no book like the book of Acts. That is the manual, that's the book that God has given us in, real, in reality generation as an example of what a move of God is like. Hallelujah. It's our manual, it's our blue, it's our example for a move of God. Hallelujah. And as we read, whenever we read the book of Acts, we are to read it with understanding in mind that this is what God did then, and God has not changed, and God can do the same today. Hallelujah. God hasn't changed, even though generations have changed, even though cultures have changed and things have changed, but people themselves, we have not changed. The problem has not changed, and the need has not changed, and the Holy Spirit has not changed. God has not changed. And just like they needed the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 30 AD, we need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in 2007. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We need the outpouring, we need the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit. It's what makes Pentecost, Pentecost. Hallelujah. I said it once, it's what makes Pentecost, Pentecost, true Pentecost, the moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit as we see it in the book of Acts. You know, a perfect, uh, a perfect example of this that we see in history is with the illustration and the, and the story of Charles Parham and the Topeka, Kansas Revival. Have you ever heard of Charles Parham before? The Topeka, Kansas Revival. Charles Parham and his, and his wife, Sarah, uh, started a Bible school in Topeka, Kansas in the late 1800s. And when they started that Bible school, they started it to, as, as a Bible school to train young people or whomever would come uh, for the ministry, very much like WEBC. 
They were raising it up to be a, a, a place of refuge for those who need healing in their bodies. Uh, they believed that Jesus Christ was the healer. They knew that by his stripes we are healed. And so they opened that, that Bible school as a place of refuge, uh, as, a, as a Bible training center. And for years, for several years, Charles Parham and his wife Sarah conducted that Bible school. But in around the year 1900, Charles Parham suffered from what he felt was just a, a breakdown. He, he got burned out, he felt. He was working so hard, and he just, he just needed a break. And in the year 1900, he went, he took about four months different holiness camps or holiness churches, prominent holiness churches in the United States at that time. And one of the ones that he went to was in Shiloh, Maine, and it was, it was run by a man by the name of Frank Sanford. It was called uh, the Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. <laughs> now that's quite a name. <laughs> the Holy Ghost and Us Bible School. Well, he went to the Holy Ghost and Us Bible School just to get a break, just to get away for a while, uh, to be refreshed himself. And while he was there, again, this was in the year 1900, while he was there, he heard a testimony of a missionary that had just come from Africa, and it was a missionary to Africa. They, had, they were on a sabbatical uh, of sorts, and they had just come to take a break and come back to the States, and this missionary was, was telling a testimony of something that he had experienced and seen in Africa. And he told the testimony that there was a, there was a certain place or a certain village in which, in which another missionary had spoken in other tongues and the village had received Christ and they had been baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Charles Parham being the holiness man that he was, he knew about the Holy Spirit. He, he had talked about, he preached about the Holy Spirit himself and even to a certain extent preached about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. But when he heard this testimony of this missionary in Africa that talked about a village being saved and baptized with the Spirit and speaking under the tongues and under the power of God, Charles Parham knew on the inside that there was more of the Spirit that he had not experienced yet. That there was more that he had not received yet. And it, and it stirred a hunger and a thirst in his heart for more of God, for more of the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what he did is he went back to Topeka, Kansas, went back to Bethel Bible School. And in that school, it was a small school. There was about 40 or so students, really about the size of WEBC. And he went back and he told the students, that he began to preach to them and tell them that, that students, there is more of the Holy Ghost that I believe that we have not experienced yet. And he, he was stirred. There was a hunger and a thirst in his spirit. And that hunger and that thirst really spread over into his students. 
Well, in December, uh, late December of 1900, December 28th through, the, through December 30th of 1900, Charles Parham had planned on a three-day ministry trip to Kansas City, Missouri. And while he was gone, he gave his students some homework. <laughs> I don't know if there's any students this morning, but you're all, students are familiar with homework. <laughs> uh, right, Eric? <laughs> Eric is one of our Bible college students, and, and, and Sean and some other ones here. But he gave some homework to them, and he told them, while I'm gone, I want you to study the book of Acts, and I, and I want you to study and find out what the biblical evidence is for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. I want you to study it specifically coming from the book of Acts. I want you to find out from God's word what the biblical evidence, the initial scriptural evidence is for receiving the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And so he left. But you know what his students did? His students went to prayer and his students went to studying the book of Acts. Hallelujah. They began actually prayer. Uh, uh, they began to pray, and they, began, they actually began to pray in rotation, two to three-hour rotations. These students were hungry for God. And they began to pray in three to, two to three-hour rotations, 24 hours a day, at prayer and the study of God's Word. And as they did that, they came to the conclusion that speaking in other tongues was the initial scriptural evidence for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. They came to that conclusion. Charles Parham came back, and as he came back, he, they told him, Brother Parham, this is what we found. We believe that the book of Acts proves that speaking in other tongues is the scriptural evidence for the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Charles Parham said, okay, all right then, that's what we want. Hallelujah. We want the true baptism with the Holy Spirit, even if it includes tongues. And that day, there were many holiness people who believed that they had already been baptized with the Spirit, but they rejected tongues. Even Charles Parham and even Agnes Osmond, as we'll deal with, I'll deal with in just a second, she believed previously that she was baptized with the Holy Spirit but again, Charles Parham realized, and it was ultimately the Holy Spirit dealing with him, that you know what? They really didn't have it. And so they went to prayer. They started an all-night prayer meeting December 31st, and that prayer meeting ultimately lasted until January 2nd into the next year. But around 11 p.m., in, this, in, uh, in Agnes Osmond's own words, around 11 p.m., January 1st, as they were praying, at that point, nobody had been truly baptized with the Holy Spirit yet. But she felt the Lord dealing with her heart, and she asked others, she asked Brother Parham and some other students to lay hands on her because she felt in her spirit that, you know, the Lord has told me, now's the time. Now's the time for me. God wants to baptize me with the Holy Spirit. And so Brother Parham and some other students laid hands on her again around 11 o'clock, January 1st, 1900. And in a few minutes, Agnes Osmond was baptized with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues. Hallelujah. 
And from what we know in history, she was the first one to be baptized with the Spirit in the 20th century. Hallelujah. A young girl, 30 years old, from Albany, Wisconsin, that came to Topeka, Kansas to go to Bible school, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And over the next few days, 37 of those 40 students were baptized with the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Okay, why do I give that illustration? Why do I bring out that story? I bring out that story and the illustration to prove the point that one of the greatest revivals in, in our history, the Topeka, Kansas revival, was started by, by people reading the book of Acts and expecting God to do the same. Hallelujah. They realized that God had not changed and that God, if you did it then, you can do it again. Hallelujah. Again, the book of Acts is our model. It's our example. And when we read the book of Acts, God is desiring, it's his will, that we read it with a spirit of expectancy. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. We need God to move again. Hallelujah. We need God to move again. Praise the Lord. In our day, now over the, over the years, I have... I have heard the, the question asked, is there scriptural evidence for a move of God in our last day? I've heard that question asked before, and many times when I've heard that question asked, there is, a, there is an element of doubt there. Because you and I in the church, you and I are living in the age of apostasy. We're living in the age of self. The Laodicean church age, which has the mindset, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, right? And that statement there in Revelation chapter 3, and I have need of nothing, is such a crucial statement. That is the mindset of much of the church. I really don't need Christ. I need him for Sunday morning to make me look good. Politicians need him to get votes. Come on now. But in my own personal life, I really don't need him. I'm not dependent on him. I can live, I can do without him. I can be, I can live, I can survive, I can make it without the power of the Holy Ghost. I really don't need that. I've got my stuff, I've got my, I've got my goods, I've got my things. I really don't need that. That's the mindset of so many in the church today. And so we're living in this age of apostasy, again, the age of self. And in the realm of church history, in the age that was before us, in the going back to the 1700s, 1800s, and even early 1900s, that was the age of missions. The Philadelphia age, the age of missions in which the church took the Great Commission literally, go into all the world and preach the gospel. The church, like you and I, took it literally. But you know what? That age is gone. And again, we've shifted into the age of self where self has become God. 
and everything revolves around my purpose. Me, 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 I, I, I. The big I and the little you. And we're living in this age, and since we're living in this age, there is a, there is a thought, at least with some, if not many, even in the Pentecostal world, that I guess that we can't have a move of God in our day. Is there scriptural evidence for a move of God in our day? We're living in the age of apostasy. Before, we, before I get into that, let me, and, and look at the scriptural proof for a move of God, let's, I want to define some terms, define some terms that I'll be using today and over the next three days. And one of those terms is revival, mainly two terms, revival and the move of God. When I use the word revival, and this is the same, really the same way that Brother Swagger and Brother Don and others use it here. When we use the word revival, the word revival literally means to revive something. To bring it back from death. Something is dead or very close to dead. And to revive something means to bring it back to life. To revive something. That's the word revival literally means. In a, in a natural uh, illustration, I guess one of the best ways to describe it is it's just like a person who has been injured or, or, or sick and their heart is stopped. And the paramedics put those shockers, I don't know the technical name for those things, but those, you know, those shockers on their chest and they send a, a bolt of electricity through their body to shock their heart back into order to start beating again. In a natural illustration, that's what revival is. When a believer or a church just gets a shock of the Holy Spirit and they're shocked back to life. <laughs> Hallelujah. They just get the power of the Holy Spirit to flow through them because their heart was, was either stopped or almost stopped. And the Holy Spirit touches them and revives them and, they, and, and the heart that they used to have for God is revived. Now, if you evaluate, if we evaluate the church correctly, you and I will come to the conclusion that the church as a whole today needs revival. Hallelujah. I said it needs revival. It needs a Holy Ghost shock. Because the heart of the church is no longer for Jesus. It's no longer beating for the Lord. It's no longer beating for God's word. It's no longer beating for the cross. It's no longer alive spiritually as God intends for it to be. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. Of course not, because we're all a work in progress. But the church as a whole needs a move of God as those shockers to shock it back to life. Hallelujah. We need that, we need revival in that way, and we need reformation for our minds, for our, our belief system to be reformed. So that the object of our faith is not ourselves and our own works and our own programs, but the cross. 
We need revival to shock us back to life and reformation to set us on the right course. That's what we need. Hallelujah. That's what the church as a whole needs. So revival is in that way used. And it, it, literally, it's, it, that, is the, what, that is what it means. But revival, the word revival also implies simply just a great move of the Holy Spirit. It, it, it refers to the, just the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, a move of God that will save the lost, that will heal the sick, that will even raise the dead, that will baptize believers with the Holy Spirit, that will do whatever is needed, will humble the proud, will lift up the weary. Whatever you need is in the move of God. Hallelujah. Brother Swaggart alluded to it last night at the altar call. He said, don't put the Holy Spirit in a box. Because when the Holy Spirit begins to move, whatever need is out there, he's able to meet that need. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I tell you, that's a wonderful thing about our God. Hallelujah. That's a wonderful thing about our God. That when the Holy Spirit begins to move in a service, and again, this is what we need, and this is what we need more of. The moving and the operation of the Holy Spirit in our churches and in our own lives individually. And especially when God moves by his spirit in a church. Again, he moves in such a way that whatever the people need, whatever I need, it may be totally different from what you need. You may be lifted up and I may need to be put down. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may need joy and I may need sorrow. The sorrow of repentance. And God is able to do both all at the same time. Hallelujah. My Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. He's able. And that's what we have need of. We see that. We, and I could just go on and on as it concerns testimonies of that in history. But we see that especially in the, in, in the uh, Azusa Street Revival. Happened over and over and over again. People coming in with various different needs. And in one service, people being saved, people being healed, people being broken, people being restored, people being humbled, people being lifted up all at the same time. Wow. Wow. Our God has not changed. Praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, people, I'm telling you, why is this so important, especially in this house? <laughs> why is that so important? Why is the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit important in this house in particular? It's because God has raised up this house to have an effect upon a whole lot of people. Hallelujah. There are pastors here. God has raised up your church in your area to have an effect upon a whole lot of people. Hallelujah. And people don't need just another preacher. They don't need just another voice. 
They don't need just another book. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> he said, it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. May the Lord stir in us a hunger for more of the moving and operation of the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And so when we use the word revival on the move of God, that's the way it's used in that sense, just a move, a great move of the Holy Spirit that can do whatever is needed among the people. Hallelujah. I go back to the question I asked earlier that, that some that, that have asked before and that some ask either verbally or just in their mind, is there really scriptural proof for a move of God in our last days? And let me say this as it concerns that, that there is nowhere in God's word where a church-wide revival is ever predicted. There's nowhere in God's word where a revival and a move of God that, that brings the church, the whole church I'm talking about, back to the cross as they ought to. There's nowhere in God's word where it says the whole church in the last days is gonna come back to the cross as they ought to. That ain't gonna happen. All right, so when we talk about revival, we're not talking about how the, that the whole church is just going to come back to the cross as they ought to, because again, that ain't going to happen. Excuse my bad English. The church as a whole is actually getting worse and worse and worse. Again, we're living in the age of apostasy, the age of self, and that ain't going to get any better. Things are going to get worse. Turn your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 through 5. And it says, Paul speaking about the last days, he said, No, this know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those who are good, traitors, hiding, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Wow. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And Paul said, from such turn away. Now Paul said this in reality. Paul, he said this about his time as well. He said in the last days this was going to happen. And, and in reality the last days began even in the days of the early church. On the day of Pentecost, 
Peter said, know this, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That began in 30 A.D. The last days began then. Now, if the last days were then, how much worse are they right now, the condition of the church that is? How much worse is it now than then? He said, in the last days, men shall be lovers of themselves. And that is the, that's the main characteristic of, again, the church world that we live in today. A love of self. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. That's the age we live in. And understand this, that is not going to change as a whole. That's not being doom and gloom. That's just being real. That's being scriptural. That's just the way it is. The church as a whole is not going up, it's going down. They've moved beyond the cross to greener pastures to go deeper into the things of God. But as I say every once in a while, when you go beyond the cross, you don't get deeper, you get thinner. And you may get deep into something, but there are some things you don't want to get deep in. And the church as a whole has gone that direction beyond the cross. We're moving on into greater things. And so the church as a whole is in that condition. But understand this. With that said and with that understood, some might think, well, I guess, I guess, I guess there's no hope then. I guess, there, I guess we can't have a move of God. I guess there's no reason to even pray for it. There's no reason to even pray for revival. And some of you, I've even heard some, gone that, gone that way, go that far. Don't even pray for revival anymore. Don't even ask for it. God ain't gonna hear your prayer if you pray for a move of God. It's all over, there's no more hope. It's all gone. We're living in the age of apostasy. I'm here to tell you today that even though we're living in the age of apostasy, God still has a plan to pour out his spirit in these last days. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Darkness cannot stop the light that God has in these last days. And God has a remnant. God has a remnant that will believe. Hallelujah. They may not be very many, but I know this. As for me in my house, we are going to believe God for an outpouring of his spirit in these last days. Why? 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 Because I need it. Hallelujah. I need him. We need him. We need God to move, and God can do so, so, so much more than we can do ourselves. So much more. I said, that's, a, that's an understatement of understatements. So much more than we can do ourselves. The scriptural proof for a move of God in our day it's found in the book of Acts. Go to the book of Acts, chapter 2. The book of Acts, chapter 2, and beginning with, beginning with verse 14. 
Acts chapter 2, and beginning with verse 14, this is right after God had poured out his Holy Spirit in verses 1 through 4. And the multitudes that were there in the temple compound, they heard the 120 speaking in other tongues. And the Bible says that some mocked, saying, these people are full of new wine. These people are nuts. They're crazy. They got to be drunk. Others were just amazed because they heard these Galileans speaking in their own tongue the wonderful works of God. And as the crowd was perplexed against some mocking, some in absolute amazement of what was being done, this is what happened, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifting, lifted his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea and all you who dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken as you suppose, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Hallelujah. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, verse 17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Wow. This is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Peter said, this is that. Hallelujah. You're wondering what's going on, people. This is what God told us through the prophet Joel was coming. That in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Hallelujah. That was the scriptural evidence that the Holy Spirit gave to Peter on that day for a move of God, for a move of the Holy Spirit. And the scriptural evidence that God gave to Peter is our scriptural evidence today because we're still in the last days. Hallelujah. We're still in the last days. We're still here. And actually the last days are much closer. And the closer we get to the rapture of the church, the closer we get to the tribulation period that follows the rapture, things are going to get worse. But God gave a promise. And get this, apostasy does not cancel out God's promise. Sometimes we can get in our mindset, well, it's too bad now. It's lost. It ain't lost for me. Is it lost for you? Pastor, is it lost for your church? Maybe you've given up on your church. Maybe it is lost. Maybe you need to leave. Is it lost for you? I say the words of Joshua again, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. I've got to have it for me. Hallelujah. And the people that God's put under me as a pastor, I've got to give it to them. I'm going to lead them in that direction. Hallelujah. And as the shepherd goes, so the sheep follow. If the shepherd's hungry, the sheep in general will be hungry. And I'm thankful at this ministry, God's doing a great work. Hallelujah. 
And we got shepherds that are hungry and thirsty for more of God. And so the scriptural evidence, again, that God gave there on the day of Pentecost to Peter from the prophet Joel, that is our scriptural evidence right there. Hallelujah. I'm going to read the whole thing again in verse 17. And it shall, verse 16, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Now that doesn't mean that all flesh are going to get saved or all flesh will receive it. But all flesh who are hungry, all, all flesh who believe will receive it. The 120 on the day of Pentecost, they were hungry for it. They were believing God for it. They were expecting for it. And so what happened? They got it. Mm. And he said, and I, and, and I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Again, your, young, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. This is the characteristic of what will happen, of some of the things that will happen as God pours out his spirit. God moving upon people in a way that, he's, that, that they have never experienced him moving upon them before. Hallelujah. In verse 18, and on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before that great and notable day the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hallelujah. That's our time right here. That's our time right now. There are multitudes of souls that need to be saved. And it is God's plan, it is God's will that God use his church to preach the gospel under the power of the Holy Spirit in these last days. Do you hear that today? It's his will. Why did it, what did he say in Acts chapter one and verse eight? It's a good refrigerator verse, a good memory verse. Jesus told his disciples, it shall come to pass. He said that, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you shall be witnesses of me in Judea, Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Hallelujah. That is God's will to empower his church with power to preach the gospel in the, to this world that is lost. In the year 1906, when William Seymour, the Lord sent William Seymour to Los Angeles, the Azusa Street Revival, I'll say this before I say what I was about to say, the Azusa Street Revival is, is the revival that really, really brought about Pentecost as we know it today. God used the Topeka Revival and then, then, then the Azusa Street Revival in our history from 1906 to 1909. And when William Seymour was sent to Los Angeles by the Lord, God sent him there ultimately. When he came there, 
he himself had never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He had no idea what was about to happen in the days to come. He had no comprehension. It had not even entered it into his mind. He was going there to uh, pastor a small holiness church on, the, on, on, on Santa Fe Street, the Santa Fe Holiness Mission. That's what he was going for. But William Seymour, as before he came to Los Angeles, he was in Houston, Texas, and he was sitting under the ministry of Charles Parham. And Charles Parham was teaching a bi- in a Bible school, the Houston Bible School, and he was teaching his students there about the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. And William Seymour spent several months there, but over that time period, he never received himself. But there was a hunger there. There was a thirst there. And he realized that there was more of the Spirit that he had not had yet. There was more of God, more that God had for a more of the Holy Spirit, a true baptism with the Holy Spirit. When he went to Los Angeles, he began to preach that message, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. He didn't even have it yet. He was preaching on the baptism, preaching on tongues, and he hadn't even had it yet. I believe most likely some of the best messages he had ever preached on the baptism was before he even had the baptism. Why? It's because he was hungry for it. Well, as he went there and preached that message to the Santa Fe Holiness Mission, they didn't like it, and so they kicked him out. He was there for about one week, and he was kicked out of the church that he was the pastor of. They locked the door on him. We don't want you back no more. Here's William Seymour in Los Angeles, a a foreign country, you could say, for him. He was from Centerville, Louisiana, sugarcane country. And here he is, an African-American man in in Los Angeles, not knowing anybody. He's, he's, He's locked out of the church that he's the pastor of. He has very little money, no place to stay. He's got nothing but the Lord. Well, through a process of events, God supplied a place for him to stay in the basement of a, uh, of a home uh, owned by a man by the name of Edward Lee. He stayed in that basement, had nothing. Edward Lee praised God for him. He, he gave, him, gave William Seymour food. Again, gave him a place to stay. And, and William Seymour went to prayer because he realized that, you know what, God, you sent me here. Lord, you sent me here to Los Angeles. They've locked me out. And I don't have a place to pastor. But God, I know you sent me here. I know it. And so he went to prayer and he went to fasting and and just seeking the face of God. Little by little, as time went on, there were others that began to hear that William Seymour was still in town. And so they went to the Edward Lee house, and they, they, had, they started having prayer meetings and Bible studies. And in those Bible studies, William Seymour had still not received the baptism with the Holy Spirit, but he was telling the people, we need the baptism. We need it. And it comes with tongues. 
Hallelujah. The Bible says we'll speak in new tongues and we need the baptism, the true baptism with the Spirit. But we don't have it yet. But God will give it. God will send his power. Even though we don't have it yet, we don't know, we've never experienced it yet, God will send it. Why am I, I, I'm using this illustration this morning, bringing up William Seymour to bring out this point. That you and I, in our generation, I don't believe that is on a whole that we've experienced revival or a move of God as God is intending and wants to give it to us. Do you follow what I'm saying? I have felt it many times over the last several years that I'm asking God for something that I really don't understand. Hmm. You see, you don't have to have had revival to pray and ask God for revival. Well, I don't know what it tastes like. I don't know what it's like. I don't know. I, I, you know, I just don't know. And sometimes we can take the attitude, well, 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 the minister, you've never known it before either. You don't know what it tastes like. You're not, you're not old. You're a young guy. And so I guess, ah. We take that attitude. But understand this again, you don't have to have had revival to ask God for revival. Hallelujah. And history is full, even the book of Acts is an example to us of those who had not even received it yet. And you know what, the 120 disciples, they had no idea what was gonna happen. I'll say it, let me back up a little. They had a little idea. They had a little idea. But ultimately, they really didn't have an idea of what was going to take place because they had never experienced it yet. They had never experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit the way Jesus had told them. They had never received the promise of the Father. Now, I'm telling you today, there is more that God wants to do in our lives there is a place that God, spiritually speaking, there is more of the Holy Spirit. There is a greater realm, a greater degree of the moving and operation of the Holy Spirit in our life that God wants to do, that God wants to take us to. Hallelujah. That God wants to do, that is God is going to do in this church. And I'm telling you, get ready. Don't stand back with a passive look like, well, yeah. I'm too tired for that. Or I'm too busy for a move of God. Don't take that attitude. Don't take that attitude because when it comes, you may miss it. You may be too tired for it. And you know what? God understands every single one of us. I, I know myself. I am tired at times. I get distracted. But you know what? We ought to still be hungry. Hallelujah. Still be hungry. The book of Acts is our example, is our model. Jesus told them, you tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Turn, turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, if you would. Luke 24 and verse 49. Luke chapter 24 and verse 
49, and this is just before Jesus would ascend to heaven. And this is what he told his disciples, as again, as just, just before he was about to ascend. And he said this to them, and he said, And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Wow. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. You know what? Jesus didn't say, I may send the promise of my Father upon you. He said, I will. In Acts chapter 2 that we just read, in front, uh, uh, quoting from Joel chapter 2, the Lord said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And ultimately, it was upon those who were hungry, those who wanted it, those that were thirsty, those that who were believing. And this is God's command, in a sense, really to us today. There is a time to wait and a time to tarry. The word tarry means to wait. Not a passive waiting, but an active waiting. You tarry until he comes. You tarry until I pour out my spirit. You tarry. Now that, understand this, that as it concerns an individual believer, you and I today as individuals, you and I don't have to wait to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If you need the baptism today and speak with other tongues, then it's for you right now. Hallelujah. Praise God, you don't have to wait for it. But as it concerns a great move of God, a corporate move of God, I believe the Lord tells us and gives us the example in the book of Acts that there's going to be a need, there is a need and a time to tarry before the Lord, a time to wait on the Lord and to seek his face, not to force God to do it, not to manipulate God to do it, but to prepare our own hearts. Hallelujah. For our own hearts to be prepared, to seek his face, to even be prostrate on our face before God in humility, seeking God for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I will never forget, and we're about to close here, I will never forget a little cartoon I saw of an altar call during the great Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905. And one of the altar calls, a cartoonist had drawn a picture of a, a typical altar call during that revival, 1904 and 1905, in which, in which there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people saved in that revival and healed as well. And many were even baptized with the Holy Spirit. But a typical, a typical altar call in that revival, and he, drew, he was drawing pictures, and he was drawing pictures of the, of the people and their faces and, and what they were saying. Again, on a typical altar call during that revival. And some were, had their faces in the altar, and they were crying out for mercy to God. Lord, have mercy on me. Others were saying, I repent. Others were saying, Jesus, save me. But the, what's interesting, all those things are wonderful and, and right, but it's interesting, the one thing that that cartoonist drew of a typical service of what was being said was people saying, Lord, 
send the power. Lord, send the power. Hallelujah. Lord, send the power. And they were meaning, Lord, send the Spirit. Hallelujah. Jesus, send the Spirit. You know what the 120 disciples were praying for that period from his ascension to the day of Pentecost? They were saying, Lord, send the Spirit. Lord, send the power. You told us to seek you. You told us to tarry until we are undue with power from on high. And so, Lord, we're asking you to send the power. Hallelujah. That is our example. Will we follow the example that God gave us? Mm. Will we set, will we follow that example? Lord, send your power to shake up those who need to be shaken up, to convict those who need conviction, to even convict those who are preaching error of their error, to revive those who need to be revived. Lord, to move in me like you haven't moved in me before. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I really know, I really believe, I know it with all my heart that we have no comprehension of what God can do in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no comprehension. We have no idea. No idea what can happen. Hallelujah. The good that God can do, the glory that he can receive by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we'll close with this today. In the, in the book of Acts, we see what the Lord did to Peter. Peter before the cross, and I'm not, we're not, I'm not picking on Peter, because if we were in his shoes, we would have done the same exact thing that at the crucifixion. The Bible says the, the shepherd was struck and the sheep were scattered. But Peter denied the Lord. He denied Christ. He was even ashamed of him before a little servant girl. But after Pentecost, <laughs> after he received the power of the Holy Spirit, hallelujah, after the Holy Spirit moved upon him in power, what happened? Peter standing up. <laughs> Woo! Peter standing up with the 11 and said to the multitudes, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Hallelujah. And God took a man that was ashamed and made him bold as a lion. And that day 3,000 souls were saved. Hallelujah. That's our example. That's our example. Will we follow that? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence today. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit and your presence, God. That, God, you are moving us closer. God, even as you said last night in the word, in the message of tongues and interpretation, that, God, you're drawing us. You're drawing your people. And, Lord, we thank you for that. God, help us to respond. In the name of Jesus, 
We thank you, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.